0: Yeah, I'd say this, that there's three things in life you should never sacrifice, and that's your family, your health, and your character.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Rakita Harris, the work and money editor for Essence, and welcome to Unbossed, a podcast for entrepreneurs, self-starters, and women who are about their business Now, on today's episode, I'm speaking with Tashonda Brown-Duckett, the CEO of Chase Consumer Banking. Tashonda is one of the most senior black women in the U.S. to work in finance. So, unsurprisingly, she's also the first black woman to be in this role at Chase. Of course, this is no easy feat. What I love about Tashonda is this. While some of us go into work, we do what we have to do to collect that paycheck, and then we bounce at the end of the day. What I love about her is that she brings a sense of purpose into everything that she does. She comes to work as her authentic self, and it shines when she shows up. So, as you're going to learn about Tashonda... She's super passionate about bringing financial literacy to the masses, particularly when it comes to black women. Through a number of programs at Chase, she's been able to arm black women with the tools that they need to level up with their finances. And one of those initiatives is called Currency Conversations. And you'll soon learn about everything that that entails very shortly. And finally, this interview is a little different from the rest. Um, I had the opportunity to visit Tashonda in the Chase headquarters in Manhattan. And to be frank, it was just great to kind of see her at work and to really get a feel for Tashonda's work environment and to spend time in that space. So without further delay, let's listen to what Tashonda had to say. Today, I'm speaking with Tashonda Brown Duckett, the CEO of Chase Consumer Banking. This woman is the first Black woman to be in this role. And to be real, we just don't see enough women in these spaces of power um, within major financial institutions. But what I love about this woman is she is passionate about giving women, Black women in particular, the financial tools to elevate their finances, and to really just live their best life. Uh, Something different about this episode, we're not in Brooklyn. We are in Tashanda's amazing headquarters. <laughs> I'm looking out over the city right now, and it's just, I'm, I'm very much feeling myself. And usually, this is the point where I welcome the guests, but I'm going to have her welcome me right now. That's right. Hi. Hi, and
0: welcome. The <laughs> Thank view you. is nice. It's beautiful. And it's even more beautiful that you're here.
1: Thank so, you. it's so nice to, to, to see you and meet you and yes. really talk about some things. So, I love to ask every guest. The same question when we start. What was your first job?
0: My first job was working at Putt Putt Golfing Games. Okay. How, <laughs> how old were you? Um, I, I was in, I was a teenager. Okay. So yeah that that was okay. It wasn't my thing. Okay. Clearly. Okay. But that
1: was my first job. I love asking this question too because I think um, the. Of course, the the responses are always very different, right. and it also takes me back to my first job at bagging groceries. Um, but I also love just knowing, I guess, the start yeah. of your work experience, because I think that's important. Whether you're in that job and you say, I never want to do this again, right, or maybe you learned something. Did you learn anything from that, from that Putt-Putt experience? Well, when you are
0: working at Putt-Putt in the summer in Texas, <laughs> It's hot. And we're in Texas. (laughs) In Arlington. Okay, But you know what, when I think about my first job, I played sports growing up. And so, you know, every job is not necessarily about when you make that check. Mm -hmm. For me, it's about those learning experiences. And so playing volleyball, playing basketball, that was my job. And I was learning grit, tenacity, perseverance, you know, the power of hard work. Yeah, Yeah, how to lead, how to (laughs) operate as a team. And so nothing is beneath you, you know, working that extra mile, that extra minute on that extra shot. Mm. Um, And so if I really say, what's my first job? Where I have a lot of experience Mm -hmm. growing up, my first job was balling. Okay, okay, (laughs) and and playing volleyball. Okay, fair.
1: That's. I mean, I think that's important too. Just like just those experiences that you get as a kid, where you're. Like completely pushed out of your comfort zone, exactly, and you're forced to either lead or to maybe be led and see where some of those flaws are, and you know. And I think it's that's important too. Um, So you had this experience in Arlington in Texas, yes. But you, from what I gather, you were born in Jersey.
0: Oh, yeah. So correct me. No, no, it's it's good. It's all good. Fact check. (laughs) Um, No, I was actually born in Rochester, New York. Yes. Rochester, New York. New York. My dad worked for Xerox. Okay. And uh, working for Xerox, a blue collar worker, at that time, you could move with the company when a plant closed. Yes. And so at a young age, we moved to New Jersey. Got it. And so I lived in New Jersey for several years. And then uh, we needed to move again. Okay. And that's when, uh, we packed up everything that we owned and we drove Mm -hmm. from New Jersey to Arlington, Texas. And this was how I was, uh, going into the fifth grade. And so that was a moment for me because, um, when you pack up everything with your mom and your dad and your brothers in a car, that's a lot of people in a car, which means your everything is really just your family. Just your
1: fam.
0: And uh, we started our life sitting on crates. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have anything, um, but we had each other, clearly. And so that's just so important, I think, when you think about life's journeys. Yeah. And so growing up in Texas was really when it really all uh, started to happen, okay. you know, really seeing more about the struggle, but then also seeing step by step, making that step up. And then, maybe two steps back, <laughs> which is <laughs> growing up fair. which is life <laughs> that's just um, right. but yeah, so I grew up in Texas, uh and
1: then now here, living in Connecticut, okay, so okay, so tell me about your relationship with money yeah. and your parents, like um, I think whether or not you learned you right. know how to budget out of yeah like some some kids mm-hmm. have, but sure. or maybe you saw your the financial situation of your parents, yes, you know, like what yeah, the <laughs>
0: Now my relationship is very solid and steady. Yeah. You know, we're married, <laughs> but yes. uh, my relationship growing up, money was funny. Mm-hmm. Meaning um, I saw and probably couldn't fully understand it, but I saw money and the the ups and downs of it. Okay. And so growing up, I know what it's like to not have a car because your parents couldn't make the payment.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I know what it's like to walk in a home and your lights aren't turned on. And it's not because it's a romantic evening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I know what it's like when you open up your fridge and you're like, we don't have anything. What are we going to eat? And yeah. somehow, some way, you know, parents figure they make it out and make it work. Yeah. And I also know, and I think this was one that really stuck with me that my parents taught me to dream, right? They taught me to reach for the moon. Even if I miss, I would be among the stars. And so they wanted to expose us to their best. And so they would sign us up for karate. Yes. (laughs) But after white belt, yellow stripe, we had to get out of karate because I couldn't afford it. Or they would sign me up for piano, but I didn't stay taking piano lessons. Not because um, I didn't like it, not because I had other goals or dreams. Mm. It was because of the relationship with money. But what I would also say, that was so important in my life because I carry that with me today. Mm. And I also carry the fact that the relationship with money took a turn as I started to understand money. And so graduating from college and working I started to understand, wow, there's a 401k and I maxed out day one because I figured, it, you know, yeah. I started with no money. So whatever the money was working, max it out. Max and then out. I'm still having a raise from yeah. when I graduated. And I remember my father showed me um, his retirement plan, his pension okay. at Xerox. And was thinking about, you know, I'm in good shape. And I was like, dad, this is not enough. A, wow.
1: And how old do you remember? He about was in his late 40s. Wow. Um,
0: and I was like, dad, this is not enough. Yeah. And at that moment, I was upset because he had access to a 401k. You
1: have with him or with the with his company? The company. Okay. He just didn't
0: have information. He yeah. didn't know that was for him. Got it. And so all these years for you to look at your father and say, this is not going to be enough. Yeah. And then he and my mom had to make a huge sacrifice to try to catch up okay. so that they could retire. That was when I understood that the relationship with money is at the intersection of knowledge mm-hmm. and action. Oof. Yeah. And when I understood that, I was able to have my father take action okay. and get to a place that he could retire years later.
1: That's a, and that is a moment for me. This is such a, it's a conversation that's so, <clears throat> excuse me, it's so important. Yes. And especially for that generation and for the generation of, you know, those kids that are growing up with those, co- you know, with those college degrees and who are able to be in um, these positions of power and right. and making a certain kind of money, you know, we're in a lot of ways we're living, you know, the dreams that our parents had for us. But so many of them are in these positions where they are struggling and where they weren't given that That's knowledge. Right. Um, can I ask what? What kind of sacrifices did your parents have to make in order to kind of rectify that situation? Man. I (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I
0: I mean, it, it gets me a little emotional because honestly, I don't know how they did it. Yeah. Because the cash flow was the same. But the sacrifice was in silence. They didn't tell me like what I'm not going to be able to do now.
1: Yeah.
0: He just said, if my daughter tells me that I have to do something, he trusted that. Yeah. And so what I think it really meant, he probably was back to eating red beans and rice. Like when we were growing up, what that really meant is when I might've said, dad, can we go out to eat? You know, I'm gonna come and pick you up. He might've said, no, we're busy this weekend mm. because maybe he didn't want to put the extra money in the gas oh, tank, Yeah, yeah, you know? Um, so like my dad tells me now, people see your glory, but they don't know your story. Less and <laughs> I think that to have my father start to accelerate and max out when you already have the bills, it took a lot of sacrifice. Um, but he understood that it was necessary. Mm-hmm. And so what makes me smile when I'm looking at you is that... And she's smiling. There's a big cheesing, smile I, like, Because I was like, Killing my father, when we said he made a way out of no way, he did not have another job. He did no. not get a raise. He just decided that whatever I am not going to be able to do today, it's so that I can have a better tomorrow. Absolutely. And if that meant... You know, I can't do this. Or if that meant, you know, I still have my pride and I might say, you know, no, I'm busy. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Because this was something that my daughter said was important. Mm-hmm. And so it was important to him. And my mom and my father made sacrifices that I probably couldn't even imagine or understand. But you know what? They've been doing that since day one. Since, yeah. They've been doing that since we moved from New Jersey to Texas, <laughs> you know? Um, but I do wanna, you, you hit something about where we are today. And if we want to keep it 100, here is the reality, especially for black women.
1: Mm-hmm. Preach. Come on. Yeah, know it's, it's coming. coming. I can feel it coming. Because, you know,
0: <laughs> single black women, our median wealth, mm-hmm. our wealth is $200 yeah. compared to single white women,
1: which is... Which is
0: much more, yeah. I don't want to even. I've seen, go there. I've seen these
1: numbers too. I've yeah. seen like a
0: lot of some variants. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's much more. And it's it's yeah. it's much much more. When we know that half of African Americans who graduate from college have, on average, over twenty five thousand dollars in debt. Yep. And we also know that about forty percent of African Americans live in poverty type areas in terms of zip codes. So to have that level of debt you don't have the fallback, Mm -hmm. you know, that mom and dad can just help you out on that, right? Um, And we also know that 46% of all Americans don't have $400 in the case of an emergency. Yes, which is crazy. Right. And and, and so my point is, even with all of our awesomeness and everything that we work so hard for, we're grinding. Mm -hmm. You know, many of us as women, as black women, about 28% are in service jobs. Which is great. That's a job where we're serving others. We're we're getting started, or maybe we've been in that game for 20 years. But on the other side of that is many times that sector may have much lower wages without a pathway to increase. Many times that sector may not give you access to full health care or pay for you to take on another skill. Yeah. Or you have so you to be mindful. Stuck. You end up stuck. Stuck. And so yeah. I just think that. Those are the stats, but that doesn't have to be our tomorrow. Mm, and okay. so what makes me smile again, if I think about Otis Brown and Rosie Brown, <laughs> is that even in those moments and even with those stats, there's something we can do tomorrow as a sisterhood. Yes. There's something that we can do. Like we <laughs> do everything. We yep. get together without judgment and put our cards on the table That's right? and say, this is my real we hug it out, we cry, <laughs> and then we say, what are we going to do about it? And we do it together. And I think that's the opportunity, which is why it's great yeah. to be here talking to you. I love it. I'm, about I'm, the sisterhood and the impact of what we can do tomorrow. Yeah. And we're, we're
1: we, we definitely going to get into yes. that in a minute, too, um, because there's definitely some things that I know that you're doing. Yeah. And I want to get into that, but sure. I want to back up a little bit. Um, how... How did you go from, you know, like, did you always know that you wanted to be in the space? So what, how did you, how are you here? How are yeah. you in this beautiful, you know, suite on the 40, what is it? The 43rd floor <laughs> <laughs> with this view. Sure. Yeah. When you were in college, yeah. what did you study? What did- so
0: I went to college. I graduated from the University of Houston mm-hmm. um, with two degrees in finance and marketing. I got my MBA from Baylor. But everyone has an interruption.
1: Yeah. And oh, okay. my interruption. You're right.
0: My interruption was Inroads. Okay. So Inroads, um For people who don't know yes, what Inroads is. It's super dope. Inroads.org. <laughs> Everyone needs it in their life when you are growing up and want to get into business. But Inroads is an organization that helps talented minorities learn the skills. Yep. Help you get the internship, but it also helps you realize that you're not by yourself. And mm-hmm. what I loved about Inroads is that I saw other super dope, young black girls and guys trying to do the same thing that I'm trying to do, which was make it yeah. and, you know, have a passion for something better. But I say that En-ROADS was my interruption because had it not have been for Mr. and Ms. Patterson that told me about En-ROADS. And who are Mr. and Ms. They're like my second parents, okay. right? Okay. They told me about En-ROADS. I had no idea it existed. If they didn't give me the information. Come on now. And if they didn't even, not even just the information, it gave me the confidence to say, and you can do this. And gave me the ability to take action. I would not be here. Mm. Without inroads, without that interruption, I would not be here that interruption was necessary to show me the art of possibility. That interruption was necessary for me to see what I didn't even know was possible. I didn't even know this world existed. And so that was my interruption. And I just say that because knowledge again, and there's so much information that we all have and we need to be as open with that type of information as we're open with what type of shade lipstick do you have right now because it's super beautiful or who does your hair, (laughs) you know, or where did you get that outfit from? The way we will freely share that information, we need to share that information about whether it's finances, whether it's about internships, whether it's about how to accrue knowledge Mm. because that changed the game, that changed my life, that changed my narrative, that changed my parents' life because without inroads and understanding business, my dad may still not oh, be able to retire. Yeah, that's it's huge. that real for so me. It's
1: you know, I and I always say this too. Like so much of what we gain through our you know through yes. our, we, it's not all just career. It's that's like right. it's light. That's right. This is life knowledge. That's and right. And just the fact that you are were able to kind of change that and yes. like you know, your dad, he's, he's benefiting. You that's, know? Right. that's right. And that's right. Knowledge is contagious. That's so, right. And so yeah.
0: inroads was my interruption. Okay. And then when you say, how did I get here <laughs> besides by the grace of God? <laughs> um, I would say I legged into this, you know, it's like the book from Sheryl Sandberg and leaned in, Lean mm-hmm. um, she has this quote, you know, if I would have mapped out my life, I would have missed my life. And so, um, my additional disruptors inroads, clearly graduating, mm-hmm. but being okay with the concept of fear of the unknown. Okay. So I relocated from Texas and moved to LA, to Pasadena with, with uh, my prior company. And the reason why I call that out is because um, had I not moved, had I... Stayed in my head like this is where my family is. Yeah. This is where my friends. I don't want to move. I don't know anyone there. You know, maybe my husband is here yeah. who I wasn't dating and didn't know. <laughs> you know, all that stuff that basically was saying I'm afraid. That risk of moving by myself changed the game for me yeah. because that's where I got introduced to Chase, got which it. is then helped that's me. What gonna, that's what I that was. That's what I want. Was a moment.
1: So you moved. You moved to Pasadena, but what was the, what was the push? What got you there? So
0: I worked at Fannie Mae. That's where I interned, loved Fannie Mae. And um, six months prior to this next interruption, uh, I told myself that I wanted to get closer to the consumer and working at Fannie Mae, just because of the way the business is designed, I couldn't couldn't get that that. right there. It was more business to business. I say that because that was what was in my mind. Within six months, I'm on business travel and I'm in New York speaking and the CEO of the mortgage company stepped me, you know, stepped aside and said, I know you're highly regarded at Fannie Mae. What will it take for you to join Chase? Mm. And he asked me a you question. Were, about how old are you? Um, late 20s, okay. I guess. <clears throat> um, and he asked me one question and the way I answered it made him get to the point of what would it take for you to join Chase? And I say that because you never know when those moments arise. That's right. You never know in the in the way in which someone asks you a question and how you answer it. And so we had additional conversations, and then I joined. I moved within six months of wanting to get closer to the consumer. Wow. And the fact JP that JPMorgan Chase came knocking at the door, and the fact that you know you're the CEO of consumer. That's right. Like, it's, it's and there. I didn't know that it's though, right? There. I didn't even know that wasn't my dream to yeah. be the CEO. I didn't dream you that didn't big dream enough, that. if you will. I was Got just it. reaching for the moon. I didn't know what was in between that Got and it. my current
1: situation. So. It also sounds like you were just continuously striving for excellence. Yeah, like absolutely. It, it wasn't like you knew where, y- you know, you were reaching for the moon, <clears throat> but you didn't. It. it wasn't like you, like you said, it's not like you were aiming to be the CEO. That's right. It was very much like, no, I'm just going to keep doing this and I'm going right. to do better and I'm going to keep learning That's and i right. keep growing. Exactly yeah. right. Because
0: when you talk about reaching for the moon... And how do you even get to the moon? You, you may not understand what that job title is, yeah. but that's not what you're solving for. You're solving, you know, sharpening your own iron. Mm-hmm. You, like you said, it's about being willing to grind. It's about, you know, bringing that work ethic, you know, not thinking anything is beneath you. It's about being in the moment, mm-hmm. being authentically who you are, growing the confidence within yourself um,
1: and then letting that light shine from within. Yeah, I have a, I want to know, Was there ever a time you walked in, especially, I mean, these spaces, they're they're predominantly white, they're predominantly male. Was there ever a moment during the path of your career where you walked into a room or maybe you went into a role and you felt like you had to, you were maybe a little stripped of your authenticity? or maybe you had to leave some of that um you know like you're sitting here with these dope braids in front of me right <laughs> now but like I, cuz i i meet so many women who are in the beginning stages of their career too right. and they feel like they have to they still in 2019 they feel like they have to straighten their hair right they feel like they have to do you know kind of sure kind of leave some parts of themselves out at the door right. as opposed to bringing that into a company and trying to spin it as an asset right have you ever felt like that yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: life is a journey, mm-hmm. right? And being where I am now is not where I was, which is how you want life to be, Absolutely. you know? But, um, there's lots of times I'm in rooms where you have to take that deep breath. Um, there's lots of times where you feel that insecurity, all of that, yeah, you know? And I think though, I've always been me though, you know, cause you know, that's how Otis and Rosie Brown raised me. I don't know how to be anyone else but me. Me too. <laughs> now, I think that I am uncovering more and more layers in terms of who I am. And I'm being more unapologetic okay. about right. who I am. Yeah. But I've always been clear, you know, who I am. And I've always been clear that the best shot at success is just trying to be the best version of me. Mm-hmm. And so the confidence continues to hone. So you started and you you thought that when you looked around, when you start your job, you know, you had that fly bob, you had the nice pearls in the dress. And by the way, that's still dope window. Like dope. like I I will rock all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, today I think the difference is that I recognize that the rules and the laws and the way in which sometimes you had to make it and there was only one piece of you that you could express to define your beauty or to define your professionalism or to define your narrative because of the people before us, because of those shoulders, we now can, uh, rock the the brain and, and, and and (laughs) redefine
1: what beauty and professionalism looks like and be unapologetic about it. Okay. Speaking of being unapologetic. Yes. What are your non-negotiables when it comes to when it comes to your work? Yeah. What things are you not willing to sacrifice? Yeah,
0: I'd say this, that there's three things in life you should never sacrifice. And that's your family, your health and your character. Mm. And it doesn't mean when I say your family, I mean, clearly I work a lot and you make those offs. you know, in terms of, you know, the time. But at the end of the day, as a mother of four, yes,
1: which, um, I, which I did want to touch yeah, on too, because aren't they? that. They're all um, different. Uh, what's yeah. the ages? Three to twenty-two. Yes. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. Yeah, I'm a mother in Love every it. scenario, and so blessed. Twenty-two <laughs> is my bonus son; he's graduating this weekend. Um, I birthed two. That's thirteen and eleven. And my cherry on top, we adopted oh, wow. um, when she was about five days old.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. Well, how are you balancing that?
0: You know, like I one, I have an amazing, dope husband. Yes, come on. Now, um, and I show. think you know we, you know, I want to talk about that. Yeah. Just in terms of it does take a village. We can't do it on our own. And whether you're single or married, you know, it takes a village. And for me, my husband is a key part of my village. Mm. I could not uh, have the level of success without. My husband holding it down and being just an amazing father and supporter, um, and so that's one, but I think too, it's not about balance, it's about having a diversified portfolio. And
1: I have heard this before yes. when I was I was obviously I was digging around yes. and doing a little research. Gosh. and I love this. Yeah. Can you explain what this yeah. is a life philosophy This is a you. life
0: philosophy because um, trying to balance <laughs> it all mean I was always failing. Mm-hmm. But when I realized The best shot is to live your life like a diversified portfolio. And so here's what that means. Write down everything that matters to you in life. For me, being a mom, being an executive, being a philanthropist, being a sister, a friend, myself, my self-care, I write down all of that. And then you allocate 100%. And what you realize is a couple things. One, I can't give anything 100% because there's so much to me to offer. I don't give my children 100% of me. They have about a 30% allocation, work has an allocation, et cetera. But here's the point. When I'm with my kids, I give them 100% of that 30% allocation. And the reason why I think having a diversified portfolio is the right way to think about it is just like with your money and investing in stocks, you're going to have volatility. Mm -hmm. You're going to have ups and downs. Sometimes you have to recalibrate. So you give yourself permission that when, when you're dealing with something personally, That allocation with your family goes up and work allocation goes down. down. You still give 100%, but the allocation goes down. But here's the beautiful thing sometimes you may have to short the stock, ladies. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) However, here's the point just like a diversified portfolio when it comes to money. Over time, you outperform.
1: Absolutely. So
0: when you live your life like a diversified portfolio, that means you put everything that mattered to you. Sometimes it's 10% allocation, 1% allocation. You give yourself permission to recalibrate depending on the volatility of life. Mm -hmm. But over time, I am outperforming this thing called life because everything that matters to me is in my portfolio. And I gave myself permission to calibrate it based on the situation or the environment I'm up against. At that time. That is why I say live your life like a diversified
1: God, portfolio. I don't even, I want to end the interview there, but I do like, I'm <laughs> so inspired. I'm ready to, um, like I've, I've heard you kind of discuss this before, but to just see your body language when you're talking about yeah. it, like it's such a, like, you're so passionate and I love it. Um, but I do got a couple, couple other questions. Sure, I got to I have to ask more about some of the work that you're actually doing within the community. Like I know there's currency conversations. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Can you tell a little bit about what that is and and everything that that entails? Yes. Currency
0: conversations is really about our sisterhood. Mm -hmm. Currency conversations is understanding that we need to talk about money. I gave you the stats. Yes. Currency conversations is about bringing women together without judgment. Mm -hmm. Bringing us together in a way that we can have a real conversation about our current situation, but we also have the information and the tools to do something about it. That's so important. And so, Currency Conversations is a movement. It's not a moment, it's not an initiative, it's a movement. We want 20,000 Black women to take the pledge to go to currencyconversations.com. You don't have to be a Chase customer, it's about us. Mm -hmm. It's about signing up and taking this pledge. And then having the sisterhood saying, we stack in hands together. That's right. We're going to go through this journey together and we're going to get real information so that the intersection between having and not having, between having a better tomorrow or not having a better tomorrow is about getting the knowledge, mm-hmm. having the information and the willingness to act. And we know that willingness to act is a mindset, which is why that sisterhood is important. So important. We have to encourage each other without shade or judgment that we got this. Yeah. And that's what currency conversations is about. I want people to understand that it's possible mm-hmm. and that if we do it together, we can accomplish our hopes and our dreams and address our fears and concerns and improve our relationship with money so
1: that it could be healthy yes, and real. Financial wellness. Absolutely. 100%. I'm here for it. I also love that, you know, you don't have to be a Chase, you don't have to be a Chase customer. It's not about, it's not about Chase. It's about, it's, there's a bigger, broader, just more purposeful. That is the number one goal. It's about the sisterhood. It's about helping black women
0: get healthy. And then Chase comes in because what can we do in terms of our role, our accountability Mm -hmm. and making sure that we're using our platform to have relationships the for the better yeah. of the community. Because if the community is good,
1: business is great for That's everyone, right. for Amen. everyone. Amen. Um, I love to ask everyone who comes on here, two questions. Yep. What is unbossed? What does that mean to you? And also tell me about a woman dead, alive, doesn't matter who's unbossed to you. Mm.
0: Unbossed um, to me means unbothered and unapologetic. Um, unbothered and unapologetic about being you. I want, I think about it as reminding myself that I am enough in all of my imperfections. I am enough and I am unbothered by some of the thoughts that may be in our own head Mm -hmm. or what everyone else may think when I'm trying to be the best version of me. I think unbossed is about being unbothered and unapologetic about your purpose. My purpose in life is to inspire others, you know? And that's why I'm okay and unapologetic and unbothered about sharing whatever I'm experiencing because I want to inspire others that they too are a CEO. If I'm, if I'm a CEO, you are are CEO too, because that's that sisterhood, right? (laughs) We're doing this together. We were talking about that earlier. Like your wins are my wins. Like my wins wins are yours. Yes, exactly. And then I think it's about um, being unbothered and unapologetic about your passion. And, you know, my passion is financial health. And so wherever, wherever I am, wherever I go, I want to talk about it because mm-hmm. I want people to get healthy. So that's what being unbossed
1: means to me. I love me. it. Now tell me about a woman who Ooh. is that definition for you. Oh, my God. That, that's such a tough question. <laughs> um, but
0: you know what? I'm going to pay respect to the entire sisterhood and say. Black women inspire me. Come on. Yes. And I'm like, going to tear up. But black women inspire me because of our journey. Black women inspire me because of the pain that we have. Because of the baggage that we endure. <laughs> but we still get out of bed, put our shoulders back and move forward. Black women are the shoulders of the giants, are the giants that I stand on. You know, black women were unseen, unheard. But was changing the world. Right. And so when I think about who inspires me, I think about the black women that are our ancestors. I think about my grandmother who's 90. I think about my mother I think about my daughter, my niece, but I think about women like you. I think about (laughs) women like my assistant because I think inspiration comes from all of us. It's not about always looking up. Inspiration comes from looking around to the left and to your right, to the women that are struggling, to the women that are making it Mm -hmm. and recognizing that all of that is actually who I am. And so that is where I draw my inspiration. Yeah. It's from the, the ecosystem of the powerful sisterhood that we have and learning. And we are learning more and more to be unbossed That's right. And to be unbothered <laughs> and being unapologetically okay with who we
1: are. Absolutely. Well, on that note, <clears throat> ooh, I I'm feeling emotional. <laughs> and just to like look at you saying this and like to really feel it. Um I don't think that's perfect. What else is there left to say after that? Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank um, you for what you're doing. It's necessary. Thank you. And your passion uh, radiates.
0: So all your viewers (laughs) should know that I'm seeing you smile. Thank you. And uh, your light is shining and your impact is real. And uh, can I take you back to
1: the Essence offices too? And yeah. just like, you know, they we, know. we can just they we can know. just all
0: hang out yes. and just, I want
1: this energy yes. all the
0: time. And it's thank here you. for you. It's here for us because I'm getting <laughs> that energy too. But thank you for what you're doing. You keep reaching for the moon.
1: Absolutely. You keep
0: reaching for the moon.
1: All right. And that's a boss. Special thanks to Tashonda. And to learn more about Chase Currency Conversations and to take the pledge, please visit currencyconversations.com slash sign up email me at unboss at essence.com. Tell me about a woman in your life who inspires you to be unbossed. Or if you don't want to email, comment on social media using the hashtag unbosspodcast. podcast. And please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Say nice things, say constructive things, please. Okay. See you guys later.